Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of RGB number FFA500 to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the anecdotal fallacy, also known as the Volvo fallacy. I say we because, yes, we're both here. I'm back and raring to go. Yay. And I think yeah. I speak for everyone when I say welcome back. It has not been the same without you. I think that's an anecdotal fallacy <laughs> right there. Oh, it? I, it's, I've had to do so much more work. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll agree that I now get several months off and that's yeah. fine. We'll do, yeah. do it around the other way. Yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. And thanks to everybody that stood in. <laughs> yeah, that's, absolutely. That's and and had some, to some extent have to kind of read nonsensical things in the same way that I do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, that was good. We had a good bunch of people. And thanks again, everyone, for yeah. making it what it is. And and your secret mission is over. Save the world. Got the girl. And uh, yeah. all, yeah. And the uh, yeah, and good, good. I will return. Yeah, and the I will return in. Comes <laughs> up at the end. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So the anecdotal fallacy is when people use anecdotes to back up their arguments. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with using anecdotes. In fact, it's incredibly useful to explain stuff to people. And, I mean, we know as filmmakers that there's really nothing better than a story to yeah. uh, about a specific person to get a point across rather than yeah. data or, you know, graphs and stuff like that. It just doesn't have yeah, the yeah. same emotional impact. Yeah, exactly. It kind of focuses the story around it in a kind of human way, yeah. doesn't it? So if you're putting a large story across, you can get a single person to represent that large story and the large number of people that it affects, then it's much you can connect with it much more readily. Absolutely. But it becomes a fallacy when you use anecdotes uh, to lend much more weight than they warrant to right. an argument or or actually kind of often use them in the face of data which contradicts them. So our first example comes from Trump back in the second Republican presidential candidate debate. Oh, wow. And he was talking about vaccines. But you take this little beautiful baby and you pump. I mean, it looks just like it's meant for a horse, not for a child. And we've had so many instances, people that work for me just the other day, two years old, two and a half years old, a child, a beautiful child, went to have the vaccine and came back and a week later got a tremendous fever, got very, very sick, now is autistic. So even if we assume that's true... <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and that's very sad, if it is true. Yeah. That's one case yeah. which flies in the face of all of the data on vaccines causing autism or rather not causing autism. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, obviously being Trump probably isn't true. Yeah. Or at least if it is true, he he is kind of Angela Lansbury in, in Cabot Cove levels of 
um, near people who get autism from vaccines. Yeah. Because uh, he also told a similar story about six months before, which also apparently happened recently to him. Um, oh, right. And, and a different story a couple of years before that. So Wow. And that's that. It's it was it's made for a horse thing turns yeah. up a lot, doesn't it? That kind of that's a he said that. Well, that's because he's never since. been close to a baby who's being vaccinated. He's obviously no, taken right. any of his kids. Yeah. He thinks that because they give them lots of vaccinations, it must be a massive needle. Yeah, and, they, and, it, and it inflates the, the kid. <laughs> There's a sense that as he's telling that story, that the kid gets pumped up somehow uh-huh. into something and then grows up to become a large orange blimp. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's, yeah, Trump Sr. all that time (laughs) did that to him. Yeah, But, yeah, even if it was true, that's one person's story. The problem with anecdotes, and this is why they're not useful, is we don't know all of the details. We don't Mm -hmm. know if, again, imagining that story was true. We don't know what that child was like beforehand. We don't know what other things might have been factors in that we we don't yeah. have that kid's medical history or, or any of the the other information we would need to say that that is evidence that that child got autism because of a vaccine we have at best a post hoc ergo propter hoc thing where yeah. one thing happened and then another thing happened and is it the thing that happens with the anecdotal fallacy that it gets they get cited in the face of a lot of evidence so that's where where the Volvo fallacy comes from is, you know, you look up on the website, you decide to buy a Volvo, they've got the, the highest safety rating. Um, and then you you tell somebody that you're going to buy a Volvo and they say, oh, no, well, my, you know, the, the, um, the oxygen sensor light kept coming on and you, know, you had to change the master cylinder and that was really expensive. So... And so in the face of all that evidence to the contrary, you get this latest bit of anecdotal stuff from somebody that you know. Yeah, absolutely. And and that the the reason that we use stories to get points across is because humans have evolved basically to, to pass on information through stories. And the whole thing about social proof is that you believe what people tell you to some extent, at least, about their own experiences with something. And if you know that person, you're more likely to value that person's um, opinion or experience. And, yeah, you might then choose to go against the evidence of something like with the Volvos, the, the actual kind of crash tests that have been done that show them to be particularly safe. And someone says, oh, well, I knew someone who was in a crash and it was very bad and they were hurt um i mean i've got a, an anecdote about volvos i Vol- right. volvo was my first car and right. when i was driving a volvo there was a a story in our local paper of a volvo that had been in a crash with a bus right. and and there was a picture and the bus had gone into a um, ditch and right. was like crashed and the volvo yeah. barely had a scratch on it yeah exactly yeah well yeah <laughs> Volvo came out the best. Yeah. Yes, the sixteen people died all in the bus. Yeah. So, and you know, I don't know any of the other details of that story. That yeah. might not be representative of of what happened, but you know, it's kind of stuck in my head. And I guess it's because the that uh, anecdotal thing, the hook for uh, you, like in Trump's case, telling that story, he knows that it's got the right, it's got the elements that you need in order to hook people in. Um, so it's got a baby, it's got 
um, you know, something being done to it. It's got some uh, awful outcome, and therefore you ought not to do that to your babies. Yeah. You're immediately engaged with the the story. You're open and accessible to what that means and how that will make you feel in the face of cold hard facts. So, and the same with you know, if you own a Volvo, then it means, or you're thinking about Volvos, and somebody says, "Oh, well, here's the story about Volvos." Yeah, you remember it, <laughs> or it it you you're kind of your it has more of an in. impact on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it can be used as well. I mean, that's being kind of in a negative sense of the vaccines, but it can be used in a positive way as well in order yep. to kind of argue in favour of something. And this is Trump from uh, more recently talking about hydroxychloroquine. Over the last seven days, my administration has deployed roughly 28 million doses of hydroxychloroquine from our national stockpile. We have uh, millions of doses that we bought, and many people are using it all over the country. And just recently... Uh, uh, a friend of mine told me he got better because of the use of that that drug. So who knows? Trump doesn't have any friends, so we know no. immediately no. that's a lie. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> it's kind of it. May, it reminded me of John Cleese's. You turned me into a new. <laughs> I, I, I got, got better. better. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I just look at him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're clearly not a new now. Yeah. Yes. So you got, yeah, and and. That's a speech. He's reading the speech and he just goes off piste. Yeah. And, you know, the the man in the other room is just going, <laughs> oh, God, no, please. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the, the hydroxychloroquine thing was, was built almost entirely from anecdotes. Um, mm. And when they actually did data collection on it, when they did randomized control trials, when they did even cohort trials of looking at what people were given and what their outcomes were, Again yeah. and again, it came out that it really didn't have a, a positive impact and in some cases had a negative impact. And that's what you need to pay attention to because yeah. there's a reason we do randomized controlled trials and double-blind trials and things where people aren't basing it on isolated cases where you don't have all the information. Yeah. And and the more people who just say, well, yeah, worked for someone I know, that doesn't, yeah, that yeah, doesn't exactly. help. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner... Well, carrying on in that vein of um, uh, the dangers inherent in the anecdotal fallacy around vaccines, recently the European governments, many European governments, halted the rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, in the face of anecdotal evidence, despite them saying that there was no causal connection. So here's a clip of the Irish Prime Minister and the uh, Dean of the Faculty of Medicine in Thailand talking about why they stopped the rollout of the vaccines. Thailand's Prime Minister and members of the Cabinet were supposed to receive the AstraZeneca vaccine on Friday, but instead health officials announced a delay to the vaccine rollout after a number of reports of blood clotting in Europe. There was one patient in Denmark who died, and there were other patients who had blood clots. Denmark's government announced the suspension because they were not sure. This is not to say it's related to the vaccine, but when such cases occur, for safety, we have to postpone the administration of the injections to allow further investigation to take place. You guys made the decision over the weekend to pause on this AstraZeneca vaccine. Tell me why you made that decision. Well, essentially, our clinical advisors took this decision on foot of a notice from the Norwegian authorities in respect of a cluster of cases 
that occurred um, in Norway uh, in terms of blood clotting. Now, there is no causal uh, effect established or anything like that yet, but as a precautionary move uh, in line with the precautionary principle and an abundance of caution, our clinical advice was to pause the programme. So what's, what they're both saying is, and it's kind of, it's, it's telling, I think, in, this, in the, the, the way that it's anecdotal, is that one of them cites Denmark and the other one cites Nor- Norway. <laughs> and you think, well, where is it? And I couldn't track down what the, the, where the route was, but there was this kind of sudden wildfire anecdotal, um, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, causing lots, it's causing blood clots and there's like one person and a few people and, and a cluster. And then it, so it's all very vague, um, but it's reached as far as Thailand. And the Irish Prime Minister there, Michael Martin, taught, also taught, invokes the precautionary principle to, to kind of justify this. And the precautionary principle, um, it, it states that a precaution should prevent potentially harmful actions being taken even before a causal link has been established by absolute clear scientific evidence. And it comes from an EU proclamation in 1987 intended to prevent harmful substances being dumped into the sea even if there was no scientific evidence providing a direct link to environmental damage. So it's a bit like, um, well, as we'll come on to in the example of the world, there's that kind of, well, we'll just bung a whole bunch of horrible shit into the North, into the North Sea. There's no evidence that it will, as yet, that it will cause environmental damage, but it's awful shit that we don't want on land and we're putting it in the sea. There's likely to, let's just assume there is going to be some damage it'll be a bit because beca- yeah it's a bit like the kind it. of climate change thing is you know yeah it seems yeah. like it's bad already and it seems like it's probably getting worse and everyone's like yeah but you can't prove it's definitely going to destroy the planet so we probably shouldn't do anything about it at all yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah but you kind of think well actually yeah we should yeah so the so um natasha loder who's the health policy editor at the economist kind of says well the calculation is different during a pandemic Stopping vaccination is not co- a cost-free option. You know, the, uh, when in dumping the stuff into the sea, if you didn't, if you stopped dumping stuff into the sea and waited for more evidence, there's no cost involved. French doctor estimated that vaccinating 100,000 people over 50 today rather than tomorrow will save 15 lives. So there is a cost involved with not vaccinating people. So just hearing this anecdotal evidence, and the anecdotal evidence is is kind of there's one or two, I think they were measured, they were so far across the EU and the UK, there have been 15 events of deep vein, deep vein thrombosis. These are the blood clots they're talking about. And 22 events of pulmonary embolism, so blood clots in the lung. So that's 37 events. Normally... One in a thousand people will get a blood clot event going on. So we therefore should have at least a hundred a week because five million or so people have received the vaccine already. But there aren't. There's 37. So you would, under normal circumstances, would you not just go, well, that's less than the background count. So let's not use that as evidence to stop the thing, we'll just continue to monitor it. Because actually, COVID is really bad for giving you blood clots, especially in the lungs. So 
you know, it isn't a bad thing to take this vaccine. It doesn't increase the the um, the chances. Certainly hasn't gone up to the background limit of the background number of one in a thousand. COVID is the thing that will give it to you. So take the vaccine because like all vaccines, and this one's been tested and it continues to be tested, like all vaccines, it will prevent you getting it. Yeah, and unfortunately so, in the kind of the the attempt to be cautious mm. um, with the amount of vaccine hesitancy and, and misunderstanding and conspiracy theories and stuff there are about the vaccines anyway, stopping vaccinating it, having lots of news stories about it and all that kind of stuff when actually there's there isn't really any evidence uh when you look at it that that it is a problem causes much more of a problem it fuels the conspiracy fire doesn't yeah. it it adds it adds i mean as soon as i was reading this out to to the anti-vaxxer in my life <laughs> um they were saying oh right what 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 evidence is that then so i had to read out the numbers and say well it's against the background thing it's less there have been fewer cases than there are normally. Yeah. So anything appears to be helping. <laughs> quite. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But anecdotally, you wouldn't want to say that. No. You would say, "Well, let's test it." Yes, exactly. It appears on the face of it. You would think. Yeah. So part though. So the second part of that of the example one is this clip where, which is kind of the UK response in all of this furore. Um, the UK is, is not halting the uh, the rollout of that. And this is what the, the reporting and the expert are saying about that. There's no increased rate of blood clots following vaccination. Uh, experts say the European reaction has been disproportionate. When we see these kinds of stories, we all, of course, start to worry, is this a real problem? And in my view, we don't have enough evidence at all to conclude that yet. And so... I would just want to be very wary that we don't put people off from taking the vaccine when we know for sure that it will prevent severe COVID illness and death. These are new vaccines and medical staff are hypervigilant for anything unusual. There's nothing to suggest a causal link between clots and the vaccine. So there seems no reason to be worried about either vaccine being used in the UK rollout. <laughs> I like this. So, yeah, this will prevent death. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, let's just go for that. So that was uh, Ian Douglas who kind of pretty much saying there that the plural of anecdote is not evidence, just anecdotes. So it's, you know, that... And that that, is something that we've said before as well mm. in related fallacies, I guess. But to be completely fair, the plural of anecdote is evidence or data. (laughs) It's just not good data. That's the yeah. thing, We're, and and if you yeah. want if you want good data, you have to have extremely well controlled anecdotes with lots yeah. of surrounding information. Yeah, <laughs> that's with how lots you of get context. data. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. But what you get when you add lots and lots of anecdotes together is very very messy, not very useful data. Yeah, but there's that whole distinction in the research field of quantitative and qualitative yeah. research. And quantitative is the stuff where you try and control it so it's mostly numbers mm. and those kind of things. Whereas qualitative is, well, how do you feel about that? You know, that kind of stuff. Which and you kind of it's it's difficult to use that in a uh, a controlled way is it difficult to quantify people's qualitative responses yeah because and they're I'd, two different things they're both useful but for different purposes yeah so the and uh, also um what's interesting in 
the reporter Thomas More just there was using what sound like anecdotal language experts say the reaction has been disproportionate, which in our in our knowledge of conspiracy theorists, <laughs> they would just go, oh, well, look, you see, well, experts are saying that. They're according to scientists. Yeah. Well, it's our, our previous episode, Anonymous Authority. So, yeah. 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 Experts say. So it's that kind of thing. But you kind of go, well, yes. The reason they're saying that is because they are looking at the evidence and they're saying there is no causal connection that can be established from this evidence. So the only causal connection that can be established is by somebody just making stuff up or being overcautious. And what's interesting is that the UK's response is to trust the experts, which contrasts rather vividly <laughs> with the second example, which we've used before from 2016, when Michael Gove infamously said people have had enough of experts and cited his single own personal experience as sufficient anecdotal evidence to support his claim that the majority of the UK have had their lives made worse by the European Union. What's your factual basis to say the majority of people in this country are suffering from EU membership? Well, you I know myself. I know myself from my own background. I know that the European Union depresses employment and destroys jobs. We haven't, my got, father, a we haven't got a majority. My father had a fishing business in Aberdeen destroyed by the okay. European Union and the common fisheries policy. That's one person. The European Union has hollowed out communities across this right. country. So, yeah, bit of a jump from my father had a fishing job and, the, uh, and he lost his job because of the agreement with the European... So, therefore, the, um, the majority of people have been affected by that. And, and yet this is the same The same Michael Gove is now saying, well, yeah, we must um, trust the experts and we will continue to put this vaccine out. And you kind of, well, actually, so what we've learned is that, if, especially from this government, is that anecdotal evidence is only valid when it's politically expedient to make it so. And also that it must contain inherent EU bashing in order for it to be proper evidence. It's also always worth pointing out that Michael Gove's dad denies that the EU had anything to do with why his fishing business went yeah. under. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he did. And, and Michael Gove saying, yeah, it's, it's, you know, from my experience. He said, what your experience as a, um, you know, a member of the, the, of Westminster voted in and he went to Oxford and all that. It's not done you too bad. Actually, if it's not, you know, you've spent most of your political life, under the EU as part of the EU. Yeah. And then you just, it was expedient for you to say, oh, no, it's terrible in 2016 when you saw your chance. Surprise, I must say When I fell in love Why I'm always changed 
Marvin Gaye there with his archetypal anecdotal song, Heard It Through the Grapevine. That was an ambitious uh, key yeah, for you there. <laughs> it was, and one that no amount of auto-tuning would fix. Yeah, well, or maybe it would in a more skilled auto-tuning <laughs> hand. Yeah. Sounded perfect when I was singing along to him. I was absolutely, even when I stopped singing, he continued quite, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah, we shan't ever, shan't ever speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs> so in the fallacy of the world, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week and from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from the pilot episode of Mad Men, ah. uh, in which the guys from Lucky Strike come into the office to talk about their new advertising campaign. This morning I got a call from our competitors at Brown and Williamson and they're getting sued by the federal government because of the health claims they made. Yeah, we're aware of that, Mr. Garner. But you have to realize that through manipulation of the mass media, the public is under the impression that your cigarettes are linked to certain fatal diseases. Manipulation of the media? Hell, that's what I pay you for. Our product is fine. I smoke them myself. My granddad smoked them. Mm. He died at 95 years old. It's hit by a truck. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, an absolutely classic as an anecdotal fallacy. Is, is, yeah. Well, you know, I, cigarettes must be fine because I know someone who smoked them and didn't die from it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you kind of call that one out at the moment. Yeah, well, it's a bit like David Hockney. Um, he's kind of, I think later on in this scene, they say... You know, so are you saying you're going to die anyway? So you might as well smoke our cigarettes. <laughs> and um, David Hockney has a sign up in his studio because he's notoriously smoked and he's like 80 something now. And in his studio, it does say you're going to die anyway. So smoke them if you got them. It's that, that kind of, yeah, yeah, there is that, that kind of re reversed thing. And you think, well, it would be interesting to see how many people smoked who didn't die. <laughs> versus how many people smoked who did die. And it's um which reminds me of the other vaccine related um anecdote fallacy thing. I read this meme that was all the people that were on the pilot smallpox vaccines in seventeen ninety eight, they're all dead now. Makes you <laughs> makes you think <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um so our second example in this section is from uh, a series called Enemies of Reason which was a documentary by Richard Dawkins uh, and in this one he is talking to Professor Chris French who's a, a psychology professor at Goldsmiths College and a kind of uh, investigator into paranormal claims mm -hmm. uh, in fact we saw him do a brilliant talk uh, a couple of years ago about um Did yeah about reincarnation yeah. and stuff yeah. um and uh, here he's talking about dowsing, and he set up an experiment where he gets people to, um, to try and demonstrate their ability at dowsing. What you'll typically find when you talk to dowsers is they'll give you lots and lots of anecdotal evidence, lots of stories about how they discovered a leak sure. in their, yeah. their neighbour's pipes and, and so on and so forth, but there are always other possible explanations there. Yes. What we're trying to do is set up conditions which would rule out yes. any of those other yes. explanations. But then we get down to the, the very fundamental basic issue, can the dowsers actually do what they think they can do? Yes. Spoiler. No, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> and so one woman is particularly distraught at the fact that she, she couldn't do it. Yeah. But I, I had, when, when you put this one up, 
I reached across on my shelves in my study. I've got a certificate where I'm, I'm actually a certified dowser because <laughs> I uh, went to this place in Cornwall. Um, I think maybe I'm a, a, an honorary member of the Guild of Cornish Druids as a result. <laughs> and um, they gave you a, a set of dowsing rods, which was basically like an enormous wishbone, and you had to hold it in the most unnatural fashion and then walk under what looked like a prehistoric stone arch. And if the thing moved at a certain time, they would go, well, there you go. You, <laughs> you, you're, so, well, what have I discovered? Water? What? And they could say, well, no, you've got in touch with the ley lines or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and you think, well, hang on a minute. This prehistoric um, arch here that's made of you know massive bluestone or whatever it is, how did you get permission to build what's ostensibly a bungalow <laughs> five feet from it? He said, oh, no, the bungalow was here first. <laughs> and, it, and you go, okay. So, yeah, not so ancient. Well, it's a bit ancient. It's probably the 90s, but, you know, it's not so ancient. So, yeah. 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 So yeah, what Chris French did here is he he got a tent and set up um, various kind of buckets essentially with lids, uh, into which um, of six he put uh, water or someone actually because it was double blind. So right. one of his assistants, oh, so without without him knowing which one it was in, um, put a bottle of water in one of them and bottles of sand in the others. So they all had plastic bottles in. The only difference was was the only one had water in. And the right. dowsers were given, I think, two guesses uh, on each turn to to see which one had water in it. And at no point did anyone get better than chance. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and when yeah. he was, like, showing them and saying, you know, this... You have, you know, you haven't got it right this time. And, and yeah, one woman was particularly going, well, I, I can't do this then. This is... I don't know what what's going wrong, but then, like ten minutes later, she was saying, "Oh yeah, well, I'm you know, I I I'm usually much better than this, and this is just you know, it's a bad day, or this is not right. the not the right. way I usually do it, and why couldn't we just kind of have have it set up with boards and a kind of floor over it so that I could walk above them because that's what I normally do, and and yeah, they're making up." They're doing yeah. special pleading. They're making up excuses yeah. for why it didn't work that time for them when it normally works. And then also he- heaping in, in the face of uh, objective evidence, heaping in their anecdotes, yeah. saying, well, I have done this. I went Absolutely. to a person's house and I fixed the leak in their hose. Yeah, all that stuff. So they they kind of, it's often used in the face of overwhelming evidence yeah. to the contrary and these people um i think one of the reasons that he did this experiment with dowsers uh is is compared to sometimes psychics or or other charlatans <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. dowsers very often seem to completely believe in their own abilities they it's they're, they're right. very there's very little benefit to them pretending yeah. Whereas in some other areas, there you know some people might have reasons for pretending, but yeah, with dowsers it tends to be they they honestly believe they can do it. They've got they they have the anecdotes that have convinced them of yeah. the times yeah. that they have have you know done something, and and a lot of it is probably confirmation bias where they the times they didn't find something or they got it wrong, they just kind of ignore those ones. But yeah. but it's sufficient. It it's all the evidence they need to prove that they can do what they think they can do uh, yeah, yeah. until you actually test it and then they can't do it yeah so before we move on to uh fake news this week uh it's just time to to kind of tease 
the thing that's coming up this week, which is a talk yeah. I'm doing for Skeptics in the Pub Online uh, on uh, Thursday, 25th of March at 7pm GMT. I'll be talking to a bunch of skeptics about the British border film classification and film censorship in the UK. And I'll be answering questions. And then after the talks uh, at Skeptics in the Pub, there's always a kind of a Zoom virtual pub thing where I'll also be and hanging around for a couple of hours answering any questions that people have and having a chat so fantastic will you will you be telling your anecdote about how your personal involvement in pizza game? I, I will oh that will Good. come up yeah and I'll, <laughs> I'll be talking about why uh why talkie council banned life of brian until i think 2007 why wow. james Furman banned teenage mutant ninja turtles from throwing sausages around in the 90s uh, all kinds wow. of fun stuff. Wow, that's on video, is it? It's a Zoom call. It's a uh, yeah. It's it's actually on Twitch. Off. So right. okay, yeah, yeah. So if you want to watch that, you can go to Twitch.tv/sitp Skeptics in the Pub at seven pm GMT on twenty fifth of March, and and watch it there. And you'll actually get to see what Jim actually looks like in actual reality. Yeah, yeah. So if all you of those seen on No More Jockeys games on the, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. That yeah. kind of, you know, putting the name to the voice. You get, oh, my God, what do you look like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll, yeah. It'll only be a disappointment. So. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they could use that in the um, in the designs for the competition we're about to talk about. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So yes. Yes. We're, we are having a competition with our friends at Tee Public, yep. who host our, our T-shirt store, our merch store. And basically, it's to celebrate the return of Mark, really. Is why we're doing competition. That's very kind. Um, yeah. And if you've ever had an idea for a T-shirt, yep. probably specifically one about critical thinking, logical fallacies, Trump or our show, then yeah. uh, then now is your chance to make it into a T-shirt. And if you go to fallaciousTrump.com slash competition, you can see all of the details there. But ultimately, it's just upload a design for a T-shirt to TeePublic uh, using the details that you'll find on that page. And if anyone wants to buy that T-shirt on that store, you'll get some money. You get and a commission also, yeah. each time. And not just yeah. while the competition is running, but forever, basically. Yeah. If you leave the design up there, you get money if people want to buy your T-shirt. And we'll hopefully get a bunch of designs uploaded. Yeah. And then we will have a voting period and people can vote for which one they like best. And whoever wins will get a bunch of Felicia's Trump merch and a free T-shirt from our T-shirt store. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing those because, you know, we've come up with some good ones, some of which have sold, some of which nobody's bought. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but the things that have, have occurred to us whilst the, participating in the world of Trump uh, and out of it that we just kind of turn into a T-shirt and shove up there. And you must have had similar thoughts. So yeah. now's, your, now's your chance to turn it into money yeah and t-shirts and merch yeah and merch. so you've got until the 17th of april to enter and uh, then we'll have a bit of voting and we'll announce the winner at the beginning of may fallaciousstrump.com slash competition so we're gonna we're gonna play fake news folks i love the game it's a great game i understand the game as well as anybody as well as anybody Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real, and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. You see, what from, from anecdotally, from what people have told me, <laughs> this, this thing's been completely rigged from the start, because uh, since I've not been playing, everybody's won. Well, there have been a couple of people who have done better than you. That's true. 
right. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think yeah. you're still doing okay. Um, I was quite I mean, Marsh, to, to, Marsh has yeah. done very poorly. <laughs> I, I know. I was quite heartened to uh, to hear him go, go all out, all gung ho, <laughs> just like he did first time round. Not learnt a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And to be to, to be caught out by that, you see, you sometimes you kind of. You know, in the face of all overwhelming evidence, you still think <laughs> anecdotally, I'm going to win this time. And you can't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you're Righto. currently on yeah. 27 out of 60. Oh, good. Yeah. So, blimey. So, yeah, you're doing better than some people, worse than other people. <laughs> um. That's very comforting. Yeah. 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 It's very philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, could be worse. You're, not, could be better. you're officially not the worst person in the world at this game. So yeah, brilliant. Um, That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so the theme this week is uh-huh. I went back to to an old speech that I've actually taken some examples from before because it was right. fucking mad. And this <laughs> right. was actually about um, it was a press conference that Trump held about positive job numbers when everyone oh, okay. thought during the pandemic the job numbers were going to be really bad and they were only slightly yeah. bad. Um, and and he talked for an hour. Almost none of it was about that. <laughs> right. And uh, But what he did do during this speech yeah. is is do several, use several different analogies for, right. for coronavirus um, okay. and then immediately forget what he was talking about and move on to something else <laughs> without really finishing the analogy. Oh, okay. So, so that's what these are about. <laughs> Right. So, statement number one. It's sort of like when you go in for an operation. If a person is healthy, healthy, we were healthy. We had the greatest economy in the world. We went in for an operation. We closed our country down. We closed it down. We saved possibly two million, two and a half million lives. Now, it could have been a million lives. I don't think anything less than that. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Statement number two. Yeah. It's like a hurricane, and we were worried. We didn't know, is this going to be a hurricane or a major, major recession? A major recession that's not artificially caused, because we artificially, this was artificially closed. We just said, boom, closed, and everything just stopped. And also, you know what else stopped? Big numbers on death by doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And statement number three. It's kind of Where's like the with, hurricane? <laughs> okay. It's kind of yeah. like with a great fighter, really one of the greats. We had a really bad situation that was not even our fault. China should have stopped it and they could have done, but they didn't. We did everything right. Even my enemies said I did the right thing by closing, but afterwards, only afterwards, a lot of people didn't want me to do it. Right. Okay. Well, I quite like the the hurricane. What it's great with a <laughs> It's kind of no, no. Forget that. Forget that. It's like a hurricane. No, no. No, forget it. It was like when you're fighting Muhammad Ali, right? It's like that, but then just doesn't finish. The, so you're waiting to, to go. Well, okay. Yeah. How so is it like that? Round up the analogy so that you're making a you know a deep and meaningful insight that I can hook onto. Okay, so I I quite like the hurricane one. It sounds very much like him because he's got. A major, it's a major recession. It's either a hurricane or a major recession. Like people say that it's a hurricane or a cyclone. No, it's a hurricane or a major recession. Major recession that's not artificially caused because we artificially, this was artificially closed. That sounds like he's had a thought that might lead somewhere. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm sort of quite like that one. When you're going for an operation, person healthy, we were healthy. Close it down. See that? I don't think anything less than that is kind of a, it's a, a Trump nonsensical thing. But then the third one, he's, uh, he's managed to have a dig in there at China and at his enemies. Okay, having said that, so I think... Great fighter, hurricane operation. Okay, I... Mm, right, I think number three is the one that you made up. Okay, so out of the other two, which are you more convinced? I'm more convinced by the hurricane. Okay, so number two... Yeah. ...is real. It's like a hurricane. And we were worried. We didn't know, is this going to be a hurricane or a major, major recession? A major recession that's not artificially caused because we artificially... This was artificially closed. We just said, boom, closed. And everything just stopped. And also, you know what else stopped? Big numbers on death by doing it. Big numbers on death. That's brilliant. Let's get it. Wait a minute. A major recession that's not artificially caused because we caused it artificially. <laughs> it's basically what he's saying. We did. We and then he realised he's tied himself up in knots. It's a. It's a major that's not artificially. What? Oh, so it is a major recession, but not one that we caused. So it's the one that we caused is less of a recession. But, or is it a hurricane? Or is it? <laughs> yeah. But either way, big numbers on death. Yeah, big numbers on death. That's a brilliant. That's a fantastic album title, isn't it? Big numbers on death. So, uh, okay. you also thought that number I one think, I think number was one real. real. And number one is, is real. It's Ooh. sort of like when you go in for an operation, if a person is healthy, healthy, we were healthy. We had the greatest economy in the world. We went in for an operation. We closed our country down. We closed it down. We saved possibly two million, two and a half million lives. Now, it could have been a million lives. I don't think anything less than that. What? So where's the, where's the analogy? It's like, okay, so you're perfectly healthy, <laughs> but you're going for an operation. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and therefore, yeah. that means... Well, no, it doesn't... Yeah. About, so we, about six or seven minutes later... Right. He got to the point of this. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> this, this was in June of 2020. So right. yeah. So still, at the, the, that point, I think there were 110,000 uh, deaths. Right. It's, it's up to 530,000 now in the US. Jeez. Um, but at that point, he was saying, you know, it's, it's basically over. And um, yeah. he, was, he was saying that the reason that they'd done so well and and achieved so brilliantly was because they were so strong going into it right that's the point is that the patient right. that yeah. needed the operation of closing down ah, was was, was strong was healthy and healthy when yeah, they yeah, needed yeah, yeah. the operation okay um yeah right. that was the point of that one right. the hurricane one yeah um i don't get at all resolved. he does he does go on to talk about how in Texas and Florida, where they just have hurricanes all the time, yeah, they have a hurricane, and then like the next day, everyone's just mowing their lawn, right? But that that didn't at any point make help. any more sense than that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that so was the, the extent yeah, of it. Hurricane with a momentary 
knockback of the economy. Yeah, I think he was basically like a saying, natural you know, recession. A hur- um, whereas a major recession would last a long time. A hurricane doesn't last very long. <laughs> Uh, right, yeah. right. I think okay. that was what he was going yeah. for, but it I think wasn't very far, clear. <laughs> giving him far more credit than, you know, yeah. It's, I think we might be overreaching there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, but the, and the other thing is, I don't get is that we we say possibly two million, two and a half million. So it could have been a million. Yeah. I don't think anything less than that. Not that, yeah. So we, at least a we million. could have saved. We could have saved a million. But we've saved. What's he talking about? Could it be a million he's death. That he's he reckons that by closing the economy and the country down, they yeah. saved two and a half million lives. When right when the um, the model that had the absolute biggest death toll, which I think was University College London model, yeah, um, said that if. Nobody in the world did anything at all, and literally people didn't even wash their hands yeah. or or do anything. Or just it, you know, went to the races. Yeah, the US would lose two point two million lives. Right, that, that would be like the absolute worst case scenario if you took no notice of it whatsoever and everyone pretended nothing was happening. Yeah. Um, and he says that they saved two and a half million lives by by closing the borders to China in February. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that you did on your return. You hey! got your first one is is right. All right. Which All takes right. you to twenty eight out of sixty one, which is forty, almost forty six percent. Good God. So. Above so. Uh, yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean, oh, above right. chance. Oh, okay. Because because yeah. chance would be thirty three percent. So yeah. Oh well, that's doing, yeah. That, yeah. It's creeping dang, creeping good. up towards See, the fifty percent. Alex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anecdotally, I kind of think that's because I've got it sorted out now. But nah, no. <laughs> In the face of overwhelming evidence, it's just luck. Yeah, it's one of data those things. doesn't support that. No, <laughs> no. And I thought for a minute that I could like read, begin to read your ones like a book, but no. <laughs> but next time round, it won't be the same. I don't suppose. Yeah. <laughs> So it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called voter suppression is still not a logical fallacy because, uh, well, Biden won. And so the Republicans have realized that the only way they can ever have any chance of winning again is yeah. is to do Stop even more voter suppression than they were already trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So as a result, <sighs> as of at, this is as of February 19th. There were 253 bills introduced across the country that restrict voting access across 43 states. Um, wow. Which is, which is a fuck ton in, yeah. in a month after Biden's inauguration, basically. Yeah. Um, in Texas, more than two dozen bills have been uh, or are under consideration at the moment have been introduced. Uh, basically, they do things like increasing ID requirement for... Um, absentee voting, limiting early voting, and just making it harder for people generally to vote. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, ultimately, it's because Trump convinced people or convinced Republicans <laughs> that yeah. there was widespread voter fraud. Mm. Um, a Quinnipiac poll in December said that 77% of Republicans believed that there had been widespread voter fraud in the 2020 elections. 
Well, is that not just their their go to explanation for losing? Yeah, it's just kind of well, it's obviously voter fraud. So what the what that allows them to do is to say, okay, so what we need to do is pass some laws to stop voter fraud, even though there wasn't any. Yeah. So and those laws are basically to turn the screws down to prevent people who were not voting Republican to not be able to vote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is that to, in order to figure out what laws you would have to pass to reduce voter fraud, first of all, you would need to figure out what voter fraud was happening. Surely mm. that would be yeah. like, what? how much is there and how is it happening? And therefore yeah. we can then we'll have laws which the, yeah. will stop it. We'll close um, the loopholes, yeah. But yeah, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's office spent 22,000 hours looking for voter fraud in Texas, yeah. where there are 17 million registered voters. Right. They found 16 cases of false addresses on registration forms. That's it. And that's it. <laughs> wow. So literally one in a million. Yeah. Wow. And, and, they, and they really, really looked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 22,000 hours, yeah. that's quite some time, isn't it? That's thousand day what's that three years it's it's well it's 24 hours a day it's about a thousand days i feel like this there's a song from rent which would tell us this yeah uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. but yeah it's it's ridiculous uh, they, they have they they looked they couldn't find any so they decided to make laws that don't address voter fraud in any way they just make it harder for people to vote especially minorities and poor yeah. people people basically who are more likely to vote democrat democrat yeah um yeah. in georgia they have really taken this to a new kind of art form just this legislative year there are nearly 80 voting related bills in the georgia legislature including two huge omnibus bills which which do things like um, they reduce uh, in-person early voting, they um, remove Sundays from early voting, so they, they just allow early voting Monday to Friday and like every other Saturday. Um, and there's a, there's a big uh, thing, especially in southern states and, and in Georgia, uh, called Souls to the Polls, where right. churches, especially black churches, yep. get like organise their people to go and vote early after, yep. after church service. Yeah. Um, so they're basically outlawing that. They limit um, absentee drop boxes to one per voting area or one per 100,000 voters. They severely reduce eligibility for absentee voting. They uh, increase the ID requirements. They cut the time that you can request your absentee ballot from 180 days down to 78 days. So by more than half. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this is just unbelievable they 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 have made it or they they have passed a bill um through their house which which is now needs to go through their senate which makes it illegal to give food or water to people waiting in line to vote whoa bloody hell <laughs> which what? especially again in areas where they have less polling stations less yep. absentee ballot drop yep. boxes and You're things like that they, yeah people people are standing and, and people were standing in out. 2020 are standing Jesus. in line all day to yeah. vote yeah and they're trying to stop that from happening 
And because wow. they, they know that the more people vote, the less likely they are to win. Yeah, which just nonsense, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, the, the other side of the coin is I I wanted Biden, you know, almost it, as the first thing to just legislate on how voting works so that it's universal. So do away with the Electoral College and just have, you know, one man, one vote and just make it the same system across the entire US. Well, a... I have some mediumly good news for you. Right, <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's getting rid of the Electoral College at the moment. Right. But HR1, the For the People Act, passed yeah. the House of Representatives in DC at the beginning of this month. Ah. And it is a... Uh, a significant uh, restructuring of voting laws, which they are trying to make federal laws so that they supersede the state's yeah. uh, ability to change things, basically. Yeah. Um, things it does, it expands voter access, voter registration, absentee voting and early voting ac across every state. It makes it harder to purge voters from the polls because they didn't vote in the previous election and things like that. Yep. It deals with uh, campaign finance and gerrymandering. Ah, it, uh, yeah, and yeah. and as a kind of bit of a dig, I think, it also requires the president and the vice president to release uh, 10 years' worth of tax returns. Uh, yeah. It has already gone through the House of Representatives. It passed narrowly with a, with a kind of pretty much party-line vote with the Democrats. Yeah. So yeah. now it has to be... Uh, looked at in the Senate, that's where there might be a sticking point. <laughs> right. Because although the the Democrats, it's 50-50 in the Senate, um, yep. and the Democrats have Kamala Harris as the kind of tie-breaking vote, but uh, this is um, vulnerable to the filibuster stopping it and and them needing a, um, a kind of two-thirds margin, I think, to, oh, really? um, yeah. to decide to stop debating it and vote on it, right. basically. Yeah. So while yeah. the filibuster still is in place, the the Republicans can, can I think, I, the, 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 the filibuster out. rules are tricky to understand. But as yeah. far as I understand it, they can they can kind of keep the debate going and stop them actually being able to vote on it and stop it from right. passing. Yeah. There's also a lot of talk about the either not necessarily abolishing the filibuster because um, unfortunately there's a couple of uh, Democrat senators who are against abolishing it. Um, mm -hmm. But there is talk about making it harder to use, essentially. Right. It would mean that if you wanted to filibuster to, to stop a vote, you would literally have to stand there and talk for yeah. the yeah. whole time. And yeah. and like it would become more tricky to use and, and potentially put people off doing it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, I think the Republicans in the Senate are going to fight as much as they can to stop this passing because this will stop a lot of those those state votes from or state bills from actually having any teeth and and right. causing problems for yeah, uh, yeah. moving forward because so, that's the because that's the thing isn't it if if that's the worry and that's why they're putting them in place is because if the democrats have got any sense they will change the rules so that you can't impose these um, restrictions and the republicans are justifiably frightened that they will never get in again yeah absolutely so 
we can hope at least mm. that, that at some point either the filibuster will be uh, um, changed and that will ultimately let this go to a vote uh, or, or some, some other thing will happen which will miraculously um, make this possible. But it's a great bill. It, it I mean, and it's actually really... Um, I mean, it's the the way, for example, that they deal with gerrymandering, is is yeah. is really carefully nonpartisan. Right. It's really um, trying to make sure that the people who are drawing the maps of of districts for voting are um, completely independent, and yeah. there are rules in there, and it's like a seven hundred and ninety page bill. This this wow. thing. Yeah. So it's it it goes into detail. Um, yeah, there's there's something like thirty pages just on how they would choose the the panels of people who would do the drawing of the districts, um, well, and and yeah. the rules of how they can't have you know basically any political affiliation at all. Um, so there's so they're they're really trying to avoid any um, impropriety or appearance of impropriety mm. or anything that the that they could say and yet of course still the people on the right are saying you know hr1 is just a blatant power grab from democrats yeah 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 <laughs> of course yeah but that's uh, yeah that's the thing isn't it that the the left wing and the, the same occurs to me what it feels like it's like this in the uk as well that the left wing are very careful about the nuances in order to appear to be completely a partisan and to make the law be able to be adopted by both sides of the house because it isn't, you know, it's clearly neutral. They try to make it as clearly neutral as they possibly can. And that's you know, true of the Democrats. It's true of the Labour Party. And but it, that doesn't that doesn't bother. Doesn't the, make any difference. Doesn't make any difference <laughs> at all how it's viewed from the right. And when the right do it, they make it clearly advantageous to themselves, whilst oh. dressing it up as not being like that. And of course, if you point it out, they will go, "How dare you point that out? You're just being partisan yourself." That's the kind of thing you would yeah. say on the left. And yeah, people so who call us racists are the real racists. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all political lives matter. Yeah, there's, 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 that never ceases to appall me that the, and in a way, that's why I wanted Biden to just kind of play as dirty as the Republicans yeah. because who's going to pull he's gonna, him up? They're going to say he's doing they, that anyway. Yeah, yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So you might as well just be as fucking awful as the republicans are and ruthless and you know focus and just say we are just gonna do this we're gonna stop you doing what you're clearly doing in texas and georgia and we know you're doing it and just you can fuck off the lot of you <laughs> and we're gonna vote this through yeah you know and they'll just go whoa you know what would that but but they don't they're, they're decent and and humane and neutral about it and they still get called <laughs> you know left-wing communist destroying the world yeah yeah yes yeah <laughs> and finally some things we really don't have time to talk about when Biden didn't manage to get the $15 minimum wage included in the stimulus bill a surprisingly large number of people decided that meant he was just like Trump presumably because they're idiots 
Here's just one example of how they're different. Remember back in 2017 when Bill O'Reilly told Trump that Putin is a killer and Trump immediately threw America under the bus saying, where do you think our country's so innocent? Well, last week, George Stephanopoulos asked Biden if Putin was a killer and Joe said, mm-hmm, I do. Vlad the killer isn't quite used to presidents who have the balls to criticise him, so bizarrely he challenged Biden to a live debate. Biden's a bit busy presidenting right now, but also that's not a fucking thing that happens. No! Politicians debate their political opponents when trying to get elected, not just randos with hurt feelings. Needless to say, Charlie Kirk, Madison Cawthorn and basically all of Fox News are openly rooting for Russia in the non-debate against the US. Yeah, which makes them... Good old Americans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very, very odd. Long regarded as the grandfather of creepy, artificially coloured, tallow-derived horror, the House of Wax has nothing on Ripley's Believe It or Not Louis Tussauds Auditorium in San Antonio, Texas. The likeness of dripping grease collection Donald Trump has had to be removed for repair. In a rather leading question... Well, we're all thinking it. Spokeswoman Suzanne Smagler-Potts was asked if the damage to the Trump figure occurred because of repeated punches to the face. She said, well, have some people done that? Yes, but it's also been damaged accidentally as well. Usually wax museums' likenesses are laughably inaccurate in their depictions of famous faces, so it's either testament to their talented team of artists that Trump's face was punchably recognisable, or it simply needed a couple of good haymakers to have it resemble the collapsed honeycomb of his visage more closely. Suzanne assures us the company has no political bias and allows visitors to pose with figures however they want. Great! I'm heading to San Antonio with a baseball bat. Wisconsin Republican traitor Ron Johnson, sorry, Senator traitor Ron Johnson, told a conservative radio show that he never felt threatened during the armed insurrection on the Capitol, but that he would have been more concerned if the mob were Black Lives Matter protesters. Keen to prove he's not just being unbelievably racist, Johnson gave us some cold hard facts. Out of 7,750 protests last summer associated with BLM and Antifa, 570 turned into violent riots that killed 25 people. And later, he even cited a source, a study by the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project. Unfortunately for Ron, a spokesman for that organisation then pointed out that that wasn't what their data said. The number of BLM-related protests was correct, but the 570 that turned violent was the total number from all protests, which includes thousands of non-BLM-based protests, including right-wing and anti-lockdown protests. And the 25 people killed by BLM protests? Well, that number includes the people Kyle Rittenhouse shot, at least three BLM protesters who were hit by cars that counter-protesters, sorry, racists, drove into crowds, and numerous other examples that have in fact been attributed by authorities to far-right extremists. In what promises to be another to add to Jim and my list of Trump-adjacent films to <clears throat> review, actress... Louise Linton, wife of Steve Mnuchin, makes her directorial debut with the release of Me, You, Madness, that she also stars in. Financed by friends and family members, it probably won't be mistaken for a Scorsese film. Is this an astute observation by social media gadfly Perez Hilton, you may ask? No, this from the Twitter feed of Ron Filipkowski, whose profile states with joyous glee, attorney, marine, triathlete, historian... 
former federal prosecutor and Republican, now defence attorney and Democrat. Political comedy, commentary, theatre and horror. Welcome, Ron. What a pleasure it is to have you back from the dark side. Now then, rubs hands with glee. How do we get to see that movie? Did you see the clip? that Rob yeah, posted. It's... Oh my fucking God. God. It's well, amazing. The, two, the one beneath that when she's <laughs> lifting weights and, it, and he's just put, it's not Meryl Street, oh, is it? Oh Christ, it's, it's amazing. It is. It is, is it's Bo Derek all over yeah, again. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was expecting to see Anthony Quinn pop up at any moment. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, you know, God. I call me perverse, but I can't wait to watch <laughs> it. It's definitely, I did go and see a film by one of my ex-film students, I think, and um, and it was it was definitely financed by friends and family. <laughs> and you kind of go there, and you just it was great location. And I went to see it, and they and afterwards, kind of they came running up and said, "Well, what do you think?" And all I could think was, "Fantastic location." <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. You know, was, oh my god, yeah. it's just those things where you just. Go, I've got to leave before you <laughs> ask me anything else. How do I get out? Yeah, and it's going to be like that. The oh, fact Christ. that she's, it's her directorial debut. She wrote it, she wrote, directed, she and starred in it. It's fucking it's, amazing. It's like we've learned, have they learned nothing? You know, it's that kind of, it's, we know about Madonna. Just don't, <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't it's your debut. You've written it, you're in it, and you're directing it, and it's your debut. Yeah, stop, yeah. you know, anecdotally and otherwise, we know that's going to stink. <laughs> it's yeah, not not Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh. Last week, the House passed a resolution to award congressional gold medals to the Capitol Police and other law enforcement officers who protected members of Congress during an armed insurrection. You'd think that would be pretty uncontroversial, but that's because you forgot about America's dumbest politician, Louis Gohmert. Yes, that guy who claimed there are no rules about making so much noise you can't hear a witness testifying to Congress. Anyway, Gomert and 11 equally repulsive colleagues from the Party of Law and Order and Blue Lives Matter circulated an alternative resolution which carefully avoided any mention of the attack on the Capitol, presumably to avoid accidentally insulting any of Gomert's supporters. The initial bill, which included the phrase, a mob of insurrectionists, passed 413 to 12. Hmm, yeah, guess who the 12 are, <laughs> yes. Just when you thought it was safe to go back onto Twitter, Trump invents spam faxes. He's sent out a missive on headed paper, ostensibly from the 45th president, of course, no mention of the 46th, laying claim to the COVID vaccine and its rollout. And I quote, I hope everyone remembers when they're getting the COVID-19, often referred to as the China virus vaccine, that if I wasn't president, you wouldn't be getting that beautiful shot for five years at best and probably wouldn't be getting it at all. It reads, it concludes with a repeat of the words. I hope everyone remembers. It's a classic Trump statement. The wounded narcissism, the unnecessary and very pronounced bigotry, the random capitalizations, random quotation marks, ridiculous boasts that he then increases to make himself feel better, the pointless repetition, and how Twitter has changed. They're no longer falling at the feet of Trump's thunderous and ranty rallying cries. People are comparing him to the shuffling tramp on the street corner with a tin cup begging for arms for an old fake soldier. 
pointing out that though on a headed paper, it fits in a tweet. And of course, like postal voting, the people he's asking to remember it was him are the people who aren't going to get it because he convinced them not to. <laughs> you can take the Trump out of Twitter, but you can't take the fucking idiot out of Trump. Timothy Hale Cusinelli, an army reservist charged with taking part in the Capitol riot, has been called a Nazi sympathiser by co-workers. I mean, it's not hugely surprising, but come on. It's not like he had a Hitler moustache and regularly talked about killing Jews. Uh, No, actually, yeah, Jim, yeah. Holy fuck, the guy had a Hitler moustache and regularly talked about killing Jews. One colleague at the Navy base where he was employed as a security contractor said he told him he would kill all the Jews and eat them for breakfast, lunch and dinner and he wouldn't need to season them because the salt from their tears would make it flavourful enough. And others recall him making derogatory remarks about women, black people and other minorities. His lawyer, who's really earning his money here, wrote in a filing that there was no evidence his client belongs to any white supremacist organisations. Well, maybe he's not a joiner. I don't think that should be the only criteria we need to worry about. In re-engaging with British politics on returning to fallacious Trump, I am, of course, simply struck by how perverse it all still is. The leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, in spite of the record number of deaths from Covid, the record number of corrupt backhanders dealt to friends of the government and then hidden for years during Covid, and the recent interference by the Scottish Tories in the potential overthrowing of Nicola Sturgeon as head of the SNP in an attempt to ward off a Scottish referendum as secession from the United Kingdom, an increase in the nuclear arsenal so we can kill everyone several times more over, and no pay increase from the health sector so we can continue to kill them several times over. Despite all of this... Keir Starmer has slipped below Boris Johnson in the polls as most popular leader and best person to be Prime Minister. Of course, Starmer isn't taking this lying down. Nope, he's doing the rounds and blaming Corbyn rather than holding up his hand and leaving the field for missing so many open goals. Goals so open for a while there, the other team wasn't even on the field. Blow the whistle, ref. It's game over. So that's all the mad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump. Just like our strawman level patrons Kaz Tui, Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate your support. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>